Welcome to the Co-Living Circle Podcast. Uh, I'm the host, Paul Burke, and today I'm very excited. Um, Kevin Carter from Emergence Baltimore, which is a live-in accelerator, um, sort of between co-living and work, co-working, is joining us. And um, before I, I let Kevin talk, one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this is because um, the idea of co-living in general, um, I really love, but sort of combining that with entrepreneurship um, which is one of my favorite things in the world, uh, sort of makes this like a hot spot for me. So as soon as I saw what Kevin was doing, um, I was paying attention to the opening and just had to like understand more of how this came to be. Uh, so Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me, Paul. Happy to dive into emergence and this whole crazy thing that has spun up over the last two months. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, um, I guess before we actually start with the craziness that is the last two months, because that was just, that was mind blowing to me. Um, let's talk about how you got to this point. Um, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about co-living is people coming from all different industries to somehow mm -hmm. uh, landing in co-living. How did that happen for you? Yeah, I think my first foray into this really came with how I got to Baltimore. Uh, so I was born and raised in South Florida, went to school in D.C. Um, and then after I graduated, I, I really wanted to find something that would allow me to explore entrepreneurial outlets. Um, but I didn't have an idea for a startup. And, you know, you're not going to find small scale startups with five employees at like the local the job fair. Right. They're not advertising that way. <clears throat> so I actually was a part of a fellowship program called Venture for America which is kind of like Teach for America for entrepreneurs. Um, Andrew Yang started it, if you're familiar with him. Uh, so uh, through that program, I was able to find a job here in Baltimore with Johns Hopkins University. And it's not quite an early stage startup. It's the largest employer in Baltimore. Uh, but their mission, uh, at least what I was hired into, was to help build up their student entrepreneurship program. And that involved things like creating accelerators, mentorship platforms, giving one-on-one -on -one coaching to the student entrepreneurs, really just helping them meeting with them where they were and helping them grow their venture. Um, so I, I love that being an ecosystem builder, being able to kind of work with so many different types of projects each day. Um, and that is where I met my eventual co-founder for Emergence, Pavel LaPere, who was a Hopkins student, also super passionate about this ecosystem space. And through that, we, um, to make a long story short, uh, after I left and she had graduated, the opportunity came through a mutual connection uh, to come into this uh, space in Baltimore that was actually part of an old church complex built in the 1850s. Uh, it was old parish hall for St. Michael's. And through uh, just kind of a decade of not being used or underutilized, um, one of our associates uh, was able to take over the property and really wanted to make something uh, meaningful to the city um, and be able to kind of rejuvenate and create economic impact uh, through our own talent here in Baltimore. Um, so the idea really, really spun up from being able to take over this space and be able to create something very unique during COVID in order to address that lack of community. Uh, hence, Emergence Baltimore was, was spun up from, from that opportunity. That's awesome. And um, so you were interested in startups, right? And mm -hmm. like you said, job fair, not really the place uh, for startups to be. Um, what was it specifically that attracted you to startups and entrepreneurship to begin with? It's a really good question. I think it has to do with not wanting to be a cog in a machine. Um, it's, I, I get people are geared different ways for different things and I see the value in it. But like when I was in 
when I was in college, uh, so I went to Georgetown and it's just like everywhere you go, it's like, go join Deloitte, jo go join McKinsey, PwC, like any, like any of these big firms. And I just never felt compelled to do that, but that felt like what I was supposed to do. Um, and I, I realized I had to take a step back and think about what, what do I enjoy doing? What do I get fulfillment out of? And for me, it was always working with people in small scale teams, working on projects or missions that we were passionate about together. And that's essentially a startup, um, right? So people that you know are heads down, uh, really collaborating with each other each day. And you're not a cog in the machine because like if one person wasn't there, the whole thing would probably not materialize. Whereas if I felt like if I was a Deloitte consultant, I would be able to be replaced tomorrow, and no no value would be lost. Um, so just that desire for an openness in terms of a future trajectory, but also knowing what I truly do enjoy, um, kind of led me down the startup path. Awesome. And so you uh, went to Georgetown and really got plugged into the startup ecosystem. Like you said, Johns Hopkins isn't necessarily Y Combinator. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what was that role like and how did that play uh, a role in, in you getting to Emergence Baltimore? Yeah, so it's wild because Johns Hopkins, they build themselves and they are the first American research university you know, about... I don't know, 1820s or so it started. Uh, so it's been a while. Um, but for all of the research and innovation that comes out on the medical side is what people know Johns Hopkins for. There really wasn't a lot of commercialization on the student side. Um, it wasn't really considered a priority up until recently. Um, so I give a ton of credit to the leadership at Johns Hopkins and within my specific organization, Johns Hopkins Technology Ventures, for realizing that we have this top tier talent from all over the world that come to Johns Hopkins to create, to discover, to learn. Um, but we weren't necessarily giving them, you know, the, the grant opportunities. We weren't really giving them mentorship for how to actually take an idea and go and build a scalable business or even a small business. Um, so the idea from me coming in there was to just provide a, a, you know, a liaison or a coach that the students could work with. Um, and that was my first year. It was very much understanding the lay of the land, what was out there, um, what other students like Pava were, were currently there. And, you know, they, as a true entrepreneur, she found a market gap. She's like, why is there no university support? I'm going to create my own nonprofit around undergraduate entrepreneurship at Johns Hopkins and, and galvanizing that. Um, but then later on, my, my next two years at Johns Hopkins were very much about program and ecosystem building. Um, so that was more than those one-on-one -on -one meetings or those one-off grants. It was how do we create a structure such as a two-track accelerator program, such as a mentorship platform, um, just all these different, you know, weekend hackathon opportunities uh, in order to give students more, more of a funnel, something that you could actually replicate and scale year after year and um, be able to kind of drive students, no matter where they were, because some were very early stage and some would honestly come to us like, hey, I, I built this thing out. I've actually somehow raised like $250,000 in angel funding. What support can you give me? versus someone that's like, I had an idea in the shower yesterday. Is this crazy? How do I pursue it? Right. We wanted to be able to meet the demands of whoever it was. Um, so through that, I really, I think found my, my calling or my niche in ecosystem building and program building, especially with accelerators and just that one-on-one -on -one coaching aspect. Like I, I love being able to work with someone, understand where they are, where they want to go and help create some kind of roadmap to get there. That's like personally just a very fulfilling thing, especially when they follow the roadmap or blaze their own trail and they get there. Um, so that's where the idea came from uh, when, when Pava came to me and said, hey, there's this beautiful old church in Baltimore. Do you want to stick some accelerator uh, programming in there? It was like, yeah, I've been doing that for the last couple of years. Let's, let's go around too. 
So you guys could have made it an ex purely an accelerator, right? Mm -hmm. Or something more co-working-ish. Why did you guys decide to go with a full-blown sort of um, live-in accelerator? We debated that and really it's a product of the times we live in. It's that we didn't feel safe nor could we provide a safe environment if people were coming and going all the time in this accelerator program. Um, so it's really a twofold. So one is COVID-19 and two is this building itself uh, is, it was remodeled before we, the, we had the property and there's actually six bedrooms and bath, private, bed, pri private beds and baths on site. Um, so that was like our, bam, that's our number, right? Um, so we felt that the space was just kind of begging to be used for more than, a, oh, come here for, you know, 10 hours a day, then leave, go home, do it again tomorrow. The idea was like, we can create a community here. We can create a household. Um, and especially in COVID, like, you know, you're allowed to live in a household with other people. You just have to kind of take community precautions. Um, so the, it was really the impetus was from COVID-19. Um, but we found that, you know, after launching it and having been here about three weeks now, it's, it turned out to be the perfect decision to have everyone living together. Yeah. And there's, um, I interviewed Kate Maylini, who's, uh, one of the founding members of a startup home in London. So cool thing is there is other models for you guys to sort of work off of and, and take from. Um, did you know really anything about co-living before this uh, sort of idea of like, hey, there's this church that hasn't been occupied or, or fully used. Um, did you really, ha like, what did you know about co-living before that pitch? Uh, very little. I knew it was a thing. I knew it was predominantly European, as I discovered. I think there, it just seems like, like, oh, hostels, you know, but then I realized, oh, it's more than just like this short term, you know, I need a place to stay while I'm like, you know, backpacking through Europe. It's like people willingly and like gleefully choose to like live together with like relative strangers that become much more than relative strangers in a short amount of time. Um, so I knew it was a thing that could be done. Um, and I actually spoke with a lot of people. I, I had some uh, email back and forth with Kate. I spoke with Guy Perdui over in Paris. Um, I spoke with a bunch of other people in the space and even some American-based people. Um, there's a Halcyon incubator, which is actually in Georgetown. It's like this beautiful Georgetown mansion overlooking the Potomac and they have a social impact focus. Um, so they take social entrepreneurs from all over the world that want to scale. And I got to speak with the director of that. Um, I spoke with Carlos out up in startup, startup embassy up in uh, San Francisco. Um, so I, I did my customer discovery because I mean, I, I felt like I had the accelerator part down. Like I had, you know, we modified it, but I could kind of take the structure of what we did at Hopkins and bring it to a, a 12 week program here. Um, but the co-living aspect, that was total new territory other than the fact that I live with roommates. It's co-living in a way, but yeah. much different than what we were trying to build. Um, so that was just all about kind of going in with an open mind and learning from those that are currently doing it. Yeah. And so, and th this is to me where the story gets crazy. So the, that pitch was made as far as, hey, there's this house. And tell us about how it came together from, hey, idea to, okay, we actually have people who are like living because it, from, from what you told me earlier, it seems like it was within a two month period, which to me is like absolutely bananas to move that fast. And, and I mean that in a good way, as far as the speed of execution is like amazing. Uh, tell, tell me more about how, what that was like the last two months getting it like off the ground. 
Yeah, it was truthfully out of pure necessity and working backwards. But to give to give you the story, this pitch. Um, so Pava and then another one of our co-founders, Daniel DeVivo, uh, he's the one that actually has a space here and has been helping a lot with kind of shaping the community and getting Emergence Baltimore as a household ready. Um, they had met and uh, on whatever the last Friday in July was, uh, I think the 27th, and they were able to see the space and you know, Pava just fell in love with this building. First time she'd stepped foot in it. Um, and Dan was just kind of Truthfully, he was getting ready to give up the space because it was, just, it was being a money pit, right? He couldn't find any way to generate revenue from this space. It's like this beautiful building, but, you know, thousands of dollars a month down the hole. So um, when Pava saw it, she's like, Dan, you cannot give up this space. Like, this is, this is something. This is the start of something big. We have to figure out what we can do with it. And then just after a brief brainstorm between them, uh, they realized, oh, we know how to make an accelerator program. We got some beds and baths right there. We have this beautiful scenery. Uh, let's do it. Um, but then where I came to play was the next day where Papa shot me a text message and she said something along the lines like, Kevin, you know, I'm not crazy. Right. Um, and then I'm like, okay, what's, what, what am I about to get asked to do? Or what am I about to get roped into? And she's like, Kevin, I have to show you something. Um, so came the next day and visited the space myself and saw the same thing she saw. And she was pitching me pretty hard on becoming the co-founder of this and and uh, being able to execute the programming. Because at the time I had, so I had left my job at Johns Hopkins at the end of June. I did some contracting work with Venture for America to help them run their virtual summer camp um, all of July. I was actually still in my last week of doing that when she approached me with this idea. And then she's like, Kevin, like, I, I see the vision. I see clearly how this is all gonna materialize. Like we just have to do it and we have to start now. And I was kind of looking forward to being a free agent and trying to like, I was like sussing out some job opportunities. Like, oh, I might come to San Francisco. I might go back home to Florida, right? Doing all this. And then she's like, no, Kevin, like you need to decide like within two days. Um, so I, I left Emergence uh, on that Saturday with like, I guess a whole different worldview or of potential of opportunities. I uh, took some time on Sunday to think about it, you know, go for runs, clear my mind, really think about you know, what I wanted to do with my life, because this isn't something I would do like, oh, let me do it part-time or let me do it for a year. This is something now that I'm committed, I plan to do for the foreseeable future. So the idea really came down to what, what do I see myself doing? Where can I add the most value? What do I feel the most fulfilled in? And it came back to the original question, right? Of why do I enjoy startups in the first place? I enjoy working with small teams and building things and being more than a cog, being this indispensable piece to get it off the ground. Um, so this opportunity just checked every box that I had in my head, as opposed to like, let me go and, you know, be an employee number 300 at some, you know, VC back startup like that. That's still intriguing to me, but not as intriguing as this opportunity. Um, so I, I told her early Monday morning that I'm on board. Um, and she's like, great. Can you come back over here like today? And then we just started laying the foundation for how we could get this to work because we wanted to run a program by the end of 2020. Um, and we realized that anything shorter than three months is probably not worthwhile for anyone to do. It doesn't really give enough time for people to gel, enough time for tangible progress to be made. And we wanted to get people out by the holidays at the end of the year. So we said December 15th will be our uh, demo day. September, that means three months earlier. September 15th will have to be the move-in day. And we're like, holy crap, it's late July. Um, so that gave us six weeks. Um, so based on just knowing what that timeline was, we had to like, all right, well, the applications will open uh, t 
tomorrow. <laughs> we have to build a website. <laughs> like we have to like, you know, we emailed 1600 people between us, um, either wow. close contacts or just like scraped information. Uh, we, I guess I can dive into who we were targeting for this because we, we casted a pretty wide net because, well, the idea just happened and we didn't quite know who would fill this niche. Um, but we wanted to think, you know, kind of be empathetic and think who would be most attracted to this. And we thought it would be either college students that are, have virtual classes this semester and can really live from wherever. Um, and maybe do, maybe they have a side hustle they're trying to do or launch full time after they graduate or recent college graduates someone that maybe their job was rescinded or maybe they've actually been working in like finance or consulting for a few years, saved up some money, weren't too fulfilled and wanted to take a leap and do their own thing. Or maybe it was someone that was a professional for like decades and had saved up enough funding and was just like looking for the opportunity to take that leap, right? And go on to the next phase. Um, so based on those personas, we just try to figure out where they would be. And it fell really heavily in the college bracket. Cause I mean, I worked at Johns Hopkins. Pava is very well embedded in the entrepreneurial ecosystem of universities all over the country. Um, so yeah, a lot of cold outreach, a little bit of warm outreach, um, but just pushing this concept and making it seem like it wasn't created like two days ago. Um, and Pava did a fantastic job with the website and getting all that up and running. So uh, it was just, it was just like not letting us like not, being determined not to fail um, was what it came down to. And we, we had like this running joke where she, like as soon as we launched the application on the website, like half an hour later, she's like, oh, any apps yet? I'm like, ha ha ha. And then every day, any apps yet? I'm like, no, Pava, no apps, ha ha ha. And then eventually we got our first app I'm like from someone we didn't even know. I'm like, holy, holy crap. <laughs> someone that doesn't know who we are, doesn't just saw this thing. They, they were appealed, it appealed to them. And it, that was like such a fulfilling moment and they kept rolling in and I'm like, wow, we actually will have to make choices. We won't have to just take any single person that decides to apply. Um, so that's really how, how it all unfolded um, from late July to September 15th when our five entrepreneurs moved into emergence. And so you guys built those personas and there is no specific vertical you guys want to attach to it as far as like, oh, we want e-com or... Um, hmm you know, AI or biotech or, or whatever it is, it was, you guys want to be more broad as far as, you know, we're just, we're looking for entrepreneurs first and foremost who have an idea, something yes. passionate about something we can help with. Yes. We wanted founders. We called yeah. it founder focused um, because, well, we didn't know and we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves to being the e-commerce accelerator when maybe this didn't appeal to that type of person. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what it came down to. We thought it, it appealed to a type of person, not a type of venture. Um, the one thing we, we assumed and turned out to be true is that this would appeal most to early stage ventures that could use the most assistance. Like I have this idea, maybe I'm a talented artist and I want to create an e-commerce store for my site, or maybe I've just started a healthcare or a holistic beauty line and I've made a few sales, but like, I don't really know how to scale this thing up. Um, and those are two, two of the types of people, two, two other people that we have in our cohort. Right. Um, but it all came down to talented people, very driven, very dedicated, but haven't quite gotten their ideas off the ground. And um, we were leaving it open because we're like, we're like, oh, we're going to create a personalized or, you know, custom curriculum, which is true. Um, we, and we did like an intro survey for everyone to understand their levels of comfort with certain topics and knowledge and then built the curriculum around that. Um, but really we wanted to not limit anyone that might be interested in this concept because more than just an accelerator program, these are people you have to live with, right? Um, so we really wanted yep. to vet the founders as human beings. Like, are they fun people? Are they, do they get along with others? They play, they play nice, you know? Um, so we, we had to discern all of that through an application, 
uh, a community fit form and then one 45 minute interview. And then we made our selections and uh, in the door they came a few weeks later. Um, so it was, yeah, still a little wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, I, and, and it, I mean, like I literally am blown away by just how fast you could execute on something like that, especially with something that involves real estate and moving people in like these people are living there. They're not like, yeah. Oh, we're, we're going to crash here for like a couple of days. Like people are legitimately living there and starting their business there. Um, now, did you guys have any requirements as far as like, these are people who are going to be full time or um, part time, like, or, or being the first one, you guys like, you know what, we're open. We're going to go with the founders <laughs> that we think uh, are going to fit best. Exactly. That's what it came down to. We, we would have preferred if everyone could make this their full-time focus, right? But we just don't live in that kind of world right now where people are, you know, they're not coming from a vacuum. They're coming from their previous lives. I mean, they, they still have those previous lives. We're not kind of cutting them off. Um, so the idea was that we just wanted people that wanted to be here um, and we would tailor the curriculum around that. So for example, now we have two people that are working on their ventures full-time. We have two people that are basically full-time students and working on their ventures. And then we have uh, one person that she is working full-time um, and working on her venture on this side. Um, so it's, uh, it's a nice little cohesive mix of people. Um, but yeah, we just, just didn't want to limit ourselves. We just, we just wanted people that wanted us. It's kind of the best way to describe it. Yeah, no, I get that totally. Um, as far as the, these people are applying, right? And and you and you mentioned sort of a custom, uh, not, not not tutorial, but basically a custom. So what's the word I'm looking for, Kevin? Curric curriculum. Curriculum. That's the word. Yeah. A custom curriculum. Um, what what does the curriculum look like over the next three months for this first batch? Um, especially given that, like you said, there is some customization, right? And these mm -hmm. founders are at different stages as far as maybe the level of their business is, you know from maybe some just having the idea others have a website maybe a product maybe sales some mm -hmm. you know aren't able to work full time what 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 does that experience look like so far in the first two and a half weeks um and mm -hmm. the curriculum in general yeah that's a that's a good point and it turned out that we, we knew always knew it would have to be customized to the cohort and then we quickly realized okay this will everyone's going to get a little something different out of this based on where they are and where they want to go. Um, so the way emergence is laid out is, um, first of all, every day we have a meal together, which is nice. That's more on the community side. Um, so I was baked into our uh, proposal and we're, then we're, it's been super nice. The best conversations have happened from that. Um, and then as far as the actual entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial curriculum, um, Pava leads a workshop every week um, and some even ad hoc workshops. So the first week is kind of business basics, finding your why. Uh, then we did some customer discovery best practice earlier. And uh, tomorrow is actually going to be some product development. Um, just P Pava is a serial entrepreneur, I should mention. She's literally juggling like six ventures um, on the side right now. It's, it's uh, constantly mind-blowing. Um, so she And she has a great passion for teaching. Where I come into play is more of the individualized focus and what they want to get out of the three months. Um, so I have a side venture called Coach Carter Consulting, which is all about helping university entrepreneurship e uh, ecosystems and those centers to provide services like accelerators, grants, and mentorship. Um, but also I do it with individual entrepreneurs, like students that want some focus, they want some accountability, they want help accessing resources, and just kind of knowing they're on the right step. 
Um, so I've been implementing uh, OKRs, which are objectives and key results as a, a principle um, that a lot of large scale companies use, but can also be done on the individual le level. Where the main idea is that you'll set, let's say three objectives you want to accomplish over the course of the three months here. And then for each of those objectives, you have a key result, which is like quantified, right? You know, smart goal, uh, if you will deem that that objective has been accomplished or is successful. Um, so part of my intake over the last couple of weeks was getting them thinking about, you know, what, what does success look like for you in these three months? Because um, one of the hardest parts for entrepreneurs I found is they, they all know where they want their business to be in five to 10 years, right? But like by the end of 2020, like what is realistic, what is achievable and where does that leave you with a milestone going forward? Um, so I've worked with each of our entrepreneurs to set those objectives and key results and then really kind of branch down from there and say, okay, if you want to achieve these key results for each of these objectives, what are the tasks? What are the milestones? Who are the people you need to meet? What are, what are the resources you need to access? And then I, one of my full-time jobs now is just really helping them get there, whatever that might be. Uh, so it's really interesting because I mean, I, I'm, I'm young. I'm, I'm 26. I have a, you know, I have a certain thing that I, I would call my wheelhouse, which is program creation. But when I'm working with like artists to set up an e-commerce website, never done that before. Um, but it, for, it forces me to learn and forces me to understand a little bit more about where they're coming from and where they want to go. So I can be as most, as much help as possible. Um, so that's the 12 week curriculum. We have 12 different entrepreneurial topics. Uh, we also bring in virtual speakers. Um, so we have a, a series called Stories of Emergence, where we, we just, it's like founder, like fireside, you know, Zoom chats. Um, so we'll bring in people either that are like Hopkins uh, alumni and founders that we know, people through the Country for American Network, um, other founders that Pava knows through her various networks. And they just come in and kind of, uh, I do a moderated chat with them. So, and then our cohort gets a chance to ask questions. Um, then all this will culminate in a demo day on December 12th, actually. Um, and that's going to be an opportunity for each of them to pitch in this beautiful space, um, have some virtual uh, investors alongside, have a nice, highly curated, uh, edited video. Edited video. Um, part of our team are like, like Dan, who has the long-term lease on the space. He's actually a documentary, award-winning documentary filmmaker. Um, so he's helping with a lot of content creation and um, really helping these companies to promote their brands and get them off the ground. So that, that really is the... Um, the overall curriculum and schedule it's it's gonna be a 12-week sprint um there's been a lot of late nights already but also a lot of i think self-care and community because uh, the last part i'll mention is we have a whole well a wellness curriculum embedded in it as well um so we have a, a certified personal trainer who's actually about to walk behind me right now it's okay you can say hi um so uh we have a certified personal trainer we have a certified yoga instructor so we have some kind of wellness curriculum each day in order to help the founders really juggle that co-living, co-working balance, because I think without that, it would be, be damn near impossible. Yeah, totally. And I think that sort of unfortunately goes into uh, something I'm really done talking about, which is COVID, but uh, we cannot <laughs> escape it. So talk about what that's been like um, as far as, you know, as you said, with roommate like co-living is sort of having roommates and there's certain boundaries certain precautions people have to take uh, yeah. what is your guys been uh your stance policy behaviors around uh you know mitigating that as much as possible yeah mitigation is a great way to put it right because we we know that when so when we were planning this in late july when the idea first came 
we were at a second peak. If you look at the charts, like Baltimore, like I think it peaked in May, it was coming down a bit and everyone's like, oh sweet, COVID's over. <laughs> and went right back up the mountain, yeah. right? Um, so we were, were very cautious and we, we had a lot of pretty strict um, precautions in place. And then as we got people coming in, or basically mid-September, cases have abated a bit. There's maybe 30 to 40 a day now in the city, which, you know, not great, but also not terrible. I mean, there's been a lot more uh, in very recent history. So what we did as a group is we came up with some community norms, um, things that we all felt comfortable with as like baseline precautions. Uh, so for example, um, every two weeks, we each go and get a COVID test. Like we have like a rotating schedule. So people are getting COVID tested regularly. Um, if you leave the space like you ha and you're doing anything remotely that could interact with other people, gotta wear a mask. Um, we, we, we really rely on people's sensibilities, um, but also the reason people are here, right? Because no one is here to like go out clubbing in Baltimore at night, right? People like want that social aspects and that's great. We can well, we have some Friday night parties here, right? Um, but at the same time, we're asking people to take necessary precautions um, and just not put anyone in any situation that would endanger them or others around them. Um, so like I said, we have implemented some actual like policies when it comes to regular testing. Uh, we've given, we're giving people masks, um, like N95 uh, respirators. Um, but at the end of the day, like we are not locking people down here, right? This is not, this is not summer camp, this is not a prison. This is, uh, these are all adults, right? And who, we're not here to restrict their movement, but we really, really drive home the point that this is, uh, I hate the uncertain times. It's like the worst phrase that people, we live in uncertain times, but it's true. And we don't, we just want everyone to take each other's health into account. Um, and like the last thing we want to be known as is like the COVID accelerator where like everyone got COVID. Um, so I think that that's also driving a driving force behind our team to make sure that all, all proper precautions are taken. Yeah. And, and do you feel, because I, I think for, I mean, a lot of people I know, I, I just moved from Los Angeles and people who have studios or one bedrooms living by themselves. I mean, it's been especially difficult for them. And I think mm -hmm. that's where uh, co-living anyway has seen uh, a growth in a lot of areas because um, sort of people are finding out like, hey, we need other people. Uh, do you oh, think gosh. that like the community aspect has been enhanced just by nature of us being deprived from like, real social interaction for such a long time a hundred percent like I'll, I'll tell you a quick story from our first community dinner because uh, we wanted to set the tone pretty early that you know we're, we're gonna be pretty close with each other because this is not like uh you say hi to your coworker and you don't really even know like their family situation you don't know anything about them right they're just that person like these are your are your roommates uh these are more than just like coworkers for the next three months um, so I remember one of our people, she actually came from Fort Lauderdale um, and she was living alone for the past however many months, taking it pretty seriously. And she, to paraphrase, she's like, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share a meal and conversation and not have it be over a screen. Um, and I think it was just a, a moment of like, wow, like we can actually, like, I remember this, this is like the before times we were able to have meals with 10 people that were not immediate family members. Right. Um, but we're this community, as you mentioned. So I think we were able to build that off the bat. Um, and I think people really, really appreciated it. And that's what I think is kind of exciting for co-living in general going forward is that people love that idea of being able to be able to communicate with each other, be able to have these conversations like casually and not have to either do it over a screen or just like plan so heavily for it. Um, so that, I see a huge swing going in that direction, especially as some of these restrictions start to get eased. 
Um, so one thing I definitely want to ask about Kevin. So I've never been to Baltimore and Baltimore. I feel like there's like, there's things going on there business wise, but there's not a ton startup wise that I hear coming from Baltimore. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the startup scene, the, the venture scene at Baltimore. Um, so we can sort of get an idea of, of what that's like. Um, because like you said, I mean, Georgetown, there's a bunch of amazing universities there. What is the, the sort of tech startup ecosystem look like there? In Baltimore, it's, I think it's a city in, in transition. I think it, to, to give some context on, on the city, Baltimore, I think the fifth most populous city at the turn of the 20th century. And just over the last uh, few decades with you know, offshoring, automation of jobs, um, uh, a whole bunch of things to unpack that we don't have the time for in this uh, episode. Um, Baltimore has lost uh, a lot of people and the industry itself has had to shift. Uh, you know, we're not going to be producing steel here anytime soon, right? Um, so with that shift, I think there has been this emergence, so to speak, of different types of opportunities um, for, for entrepreneurs to uh, really, really give back. And there is, uh, so one of the nicknames of Baltimore is Small Tomorrow uh, because it's, you know, it's a big city. We got a few professional sports teams here, but at the same time, it's maybe, gosh, 600,000 people, um, small enough where, you know, you, everyone knows someone that knows someone, you know what I mean? Especially within the entrepreneurial community. Um, and I found just such a willingness to give back because people love this city that live here, you know. Baltimore gets such an unfounded, terrible rep. Like it's, I was blown away um, from just like the, the nicety of the people here, just how mission oriented and driven people are. Um, so the startup scene, it's a little all over the place. And I mean, I wouldn't say we have like one industry that we excel in. There is definitely a burgeoning tech community here, especially like social impact focused tech. Um, of course, we have Johns Hopkins around the corner, uh, so that's a lot of biotech and medtech that emerges out of that. Um, but really, I, I see Baltimore just as a city of opportunity, and I see entrepreneurship as a way for providing, you know, we don't need to attract Amazon HQ2 to come to Baltimore to have a thriving impact. I think we can build it from the ground up with the talent we have here. Um, so that's a lot of what Emergence is trying to do, not only now, but going forward, is we want to really... Now, we're Emergence Baltimore. We're setting our roots down here. We're not, you know, Emergence all over. We, we think that you know, our team has special draw, a special tie to the city and has seen the resilience of the people and just the creativity uh, once you give them an opportunity. And I think just lack of opportunity is something that our whole team is passionate about correcting because it's like how much structural inequality uh, is due to just like not giving people a chance or them not having that leg up of being able to be connected to the right resources, to be able to live in a place like this, to actually have access to like mentorship and guidance and funding. Um, I, that's what we're doing. We're, we're betting on Baltimore in that aspect. Um, so that's something that we're excited to do, not only through this, uh, this program, but uh, future Emergence Baltimore iterations going forward. I think that's like really, really cool. I, I just moved to, second time I mentioned this, but I just moved to Columbus, which sort of has mm -hmm. a, a growing tech and startup scene. And I think like you said, um, a lot of it does come down to just like proximity, proximity mm -hmm. to mentorship, proximity to, um, you know, different startups in the area who need help, proximity to uh, funding, all that sort of stuff really matters. And I think what you guys are doing in Baltimore to, like you said, emerge out of this transition, um, I think it's just a really cool mission. Um, let's talk about sort of the formation of uh, of emergence because you guys could have gone a couple different ways. Um, mm -hmm. and my initial 
theory or thought any may any way was like you know a lot of accelerators that are more traditional yc tech stars 500 startups mm -hmm. there's uh sort of a, a give and take right being um hey you come into our cohort and you get information you get money all this um and then we get the upside right mm -hmm. five to fifteen percent of the equity um yeah. you guys are not taking that route what route no. are you taking and why how did you guys come to that decision yeah we so when we first formed this idea everyone's like oh you mean like like the hacker like are you are like bachman from silicon valley are you gonna be <laughs> trying to exploit these people um it's like no i'm not that pompous of an asshole right <laughs> like i don't think that's that's not what we're going for at all and we realized for a few different reasons one is practically that the types of businesses we were going to work with like we're not trying to work with a bunch of high high growth tech startups um especially not at that stage and not for that time period it just felt i think it is a model that has validity to it. it it just did not make sense for what we're doing with the types of businesses like what are we going to take equity in, in a coffee house that we helped get off the ground like it just felt weird um the way we're funding ourselves now is through a combination of well, it's rent so people that are living in the space are paying rent which is covering uh not only the cost of running the space but just the meals um but you know I, I'm, I'm volunteering my time our, none of our team is getting paid for doing this right now it's something that we you know, we don't want to be starving entrepreneurs forever, but we thought that it was worth just getting our pilot off the ground. And we were able to actually secure some scholarships for some of our founders here that, um, that couldn't afford the full rent would otherwise be great fits. Um, so that model is something we want to continue doing forward. Um, so just yesterday, we formally filed the 1023 form uh, to be a 501c3 nonprofit. And I think that is how we, we intend to fund ourselves because we, we know the value that we provide to Baltimore, uh, the city itself, the entrepreneurs that live here, the innovation ecosystem here. Um, and we were betting on Baltimore again, we're betting on the people to stepping up and, and supporting some of their own entrepreneurs. And, you know, literally $5,000 can cover the cost of someone living here for three months. Like it's, it's insane. That's like what one month of rent in like Silicon Valley, but that's three months plus meals and all the other goodies that come with it here. Um, so uh, we, once we have that status, we're going to start to do some small, small scale fundraising uh, just in order to be able to, to cover some ends to make a meet with that. Um, and we, you know, we're still, I always, it's always crazy to say, you know, still two months into this thing. Uh, we do have some future plans for expansion or potentially doing uh, a, a hybrid route, route with a for-profit focus. But I think at its core, we are a nonprofit. We're here for the people. We're, no one is trying to get rich off of helping entrepreneurs learn how to start businesses. We, we truly just want to see them succeed. Um, and we know with that success, Baltimore succeeds as well. Um, so we're just planting that seed and uh, looking to grow it. Yeah. You mentioned um, long-term plans. Obviously you're only two months into the thing. So you're like mm -hmm. still trying to figure out what's, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, let alone three years, five years, 10 years. Um, Talk about your plans um, for that space in general and for emergence as far as what, what you guys would like to do in the next three, five, ten years if possible. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And there are a lot of possibilities with it, not only with this space, but with other space. Um, so truthfully, housing and real estate in Baltimore is fairly cheap. And we think there is a potential lot of value in creating this uh, founder house concept uh, throughout the city. Because um, right now, we're just naturally limited by the capacity of the space. We can fit six people max. We chose to go with five just to let it breathe a little bit. Um, and we, we know like that 
this itself is not scalable in this building, especially during COVID times. But Baltimore also has just like a rich history of different, you know, types of entrepreneurs. So for example, if we could create a founder house for artists, right, where we could include a podcasting space, an artist studio, um, a bunch of different amenities that otherwise can limit accessibility and equity, right? If you're a brilliant artist, but you can't afford a studio or you can't afford, you know, the supplies to make your art, then sorry, you get limited. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's something we're trying to, trying to correct. Um, so that's where I see this being um, in that sense where we can create different types of communities that are a little bit more specific than our wide net that we cast to try to find our first cohort here. Uh, but another aspect that's intriguing to our team is this idea of like a startup studio, even of being able to um, have people not necessarily apply with their own idea, but have almost be like a, I'm an entrepreneurial apprentice, right? Like I have the drive, I have the passion, I have the mindset, um, the growth mindset, but I, I just need some, some way to channel that, right? I need, I need a startup idea that's been well vetted and can, you know, build a team around it, like just like plug me in coach, right? Ready to play. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something we think has a lot of merit and value in that if we can actually spin up businesses and we, we literally have a whiteboard around the corner, with like a bunch of just different business ideas that we think are, are valid, you know, some, some more half-baked than others, but some uh, pretty baked. Uh, so we, the idea is that we can find people that are interested in getting their, their feet wet in entrepreneurship. I'm actually being able to come into a company and, you know, be able to come into like a co-founder role and get something off the ground, whether it be a small business or a potential high tech growth startup um, and be able to, to kind of wrap that under like an emergence ventures type of umbrella. Um, so I do see it as the two paths and I, I'm really drawn to the philanthropic route. Like I, I do love the aspect, I'm, I'm the president of the nonprofit that we just filed. So I, I really want to kind of have my mind and focus on how can we grow and scale this to Baltimore. Um, but naturally if this works in Baltimore, we know this can work in other places around the country. So I don't think we're, necessarily limited by that but like we do want first and foremost our impact to be felt in the city here awesome and um that's about all the questions i have for now kevin um tell us how we can support emergence baltimore what can people do who are watching who are listening i personally do to support what you guys are doing over there yeah we're we're really just trying to get the word out about what we're doing right now um so we we have a pretty active social media presence especially on instagram just at emergence baltimore um there's also ways on our website to be able to sign up to stay updated i've uh, i've taken up content writing i've i've always wanted to get better at just writing blogs just getting the word out about what we're doing and now i finally found this perfect vehicle um so those are some of the immediate steps but hey once we get our 501c nonprofit, and if you're interested in what we're doing and passionate about our cause uh, we're happily accepting donations to help go towards this next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, and honestly, I'm just open for any kind of connections. That's one of the beautiful things of this so far is that we've just put ourselves out there and people like yourself, Paul, have just like reached out to us and like, man, this is so cool. I love what you're doing. How can I help? And uh, if there might not be an immediate thing, but maybe there is. Um, otherwise, like we're, I'm always just open for a conversation, especially if, you know, the heart's coming from a good place that, they identify with what we're doing and want to want to give back to help make it successful. Sweet. Uh, well, thanks so much, Kevin. We're going to include uh, your LinkedIn if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. Emergence Instagram and, and you can send me any link that you want included in the show notes. Um, but it's been so awesome to have you on and, and uh, obviously I wish you best of luck and hopefully at some point um, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll get to have you on again and we can talk about what, uh, what has happened the last few months, given that there's going to be so many changes and learnings and just like 
you know, you guys are, are, are hosting these startups and you guys are yourself a startup. So there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of like different, like, meta. Uh, yeah, things changing and evolving. So um, thanks so much, Kevin. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you too, Paul. Take care and talk soon. Thanks.